Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast, where we are training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. So take out your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We've been going through a series, um, or you can take out your iPad or your phone and you can connect to um, Lumina or the Bible.org, Net Bible, right? Matthew chapter 5. We're in a series going through the Beatitudes. And today, we're in verse 7. Today, I'm not going to read all the way through those 12 verses, but you should read through those 12 verses over and over again in, in those 12 verses that are taken from this Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus is communicating something significant here. In this section of Scripture, you can't just separate it from everything else, but in particular, he's communicating that that these things uh, that he's expressing, and it's usually one verse at a time, although some of them are connected together. He's saying, this is a celebration of these things. In other words, when you swear allegiance to Jesus, I like using that term, because uh, I, I think we need to describe what it means to be a Christ follower more and more, okay? And sometimes I think we have messed up Definition, so I don't mind re-describing them or um, giving you something new to attach um, to. For instance, the word Christian a lot of times has been utilized in such a way that there's so many folks that I don't want to be identified with. If that's what's Christian to you, that's wrong, right? A lot of people change the definition. Um, uh, it's a different definition for the same words that we use. But when you say swear allegiance to Jesus... Okay, that's what it means to be a Christ follower. Truly, that's what it means to be a Christian. You can't really um, change that up, okay? So, Jesus is saying here that this is a celebration of these things when you are a Christ follower, okay? These are the things that you own, that you have a share in. They are things that you are now. So, it's a celebration, and then at the same time, these things are also an invitation, an invitation to have these things, be these things. <clears throat> so in Matthew chapter five, verse seven, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So I just wanna ask and answer some practical questions through this today about mercy, actually. I wanna, I wanna ask about um, I want to answer the question, where does mercy come from? What is mercy? Should a merciful person always show mercy? Or is there an opportunity to not show mercy sometimes? And why will only, and, and we'll get to this, but why will only merciful people find mercy from God in the judgment day or the day of judgment if salvation is by grace through faith? Okay? So I, I, we're going to go through this and, and, and they'll come up one at a time. But these Questions, I think, answer the real question, and the real question here, right, or the red dot in the middle of the target is, well, what does this have to do with me? <laughs> what does this have to do with me? And so I want to look at the immediate context first of, of um, this whole thing, okay? We've seen that the, 
the first three Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verses 3 through 5, those first three Beatitudes describe the emptiness of the blessed person. In other words, um, <clears throat> you're blessed, but you're poor in spirit, okay? You, you understand that when you look inside your heart, it's bankrupt without Jesus. Verse 3, right? You grieve over sin and, and misery of the condition of your heart. That's being poor in spirit. In verse four, uh, uh, as you just keep moving through this and, and, and accepting the hardships of life in meek, meekness. So we know that life's gonna unfold in a certain way, but you're gonna be meek. And that doesn't mean weak. As life unfolds, this is what we are blessed with. We are, we're gonna embrace life a, a, a certain way with humility. And so the condition of a blessed uh, emptiness, a humble heart that understands apart from Jesus, we're nothing, right, <clears throat> is followed by a hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we talked about that last week. You hunger and you thirst for righteousness because you recognize the emptiness that you have and that you are that only Jesus can fill, right? And then come three descriptions of how a righteous or how righteousness is produced in the heart of the hungry Christ follower, the Christ follower that hungers and thirsts. In mercy, in verse seven, right? In purity, in verse eight, and in, in peacemaking, in verse nine. So mercy comes from mercy, and that's what we're gonna talk about today. Mercy comes from mercy, and that sounds kind of crazy, but our mercy to each other comes from God's mercy to us. And then, so we wanna just unpack that. <clears throat> so where does mercy come from? The answer to, the, to that first question is that mercy comes from a heart that is first felt spiritual bankruptcy. <clears throat> I got nothing and I can do nothing to get into God's presence because I just, I'm not good enough. I, I, I've said, you know, what, do you, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, if you just went to the coast of California, it would be really great to stand there on the beach. But if, um, I don't care if you were Mark Spitz or the greatest swimmer on the planet, I guess he is. Or there's another guy, Phelps. I say Mark Spitz, that's gonna seriously date me. What's Phelps' name? Is his name Mark too? Michael. All right, <clears throat> Michael and Mark. Well, let's just say they're both there. And, they, and, and you said, hey, swim to Hawaii. These are the greatest swimmers ever. Swim to Hawaii right now. Couldn't do it. I don't care how good they are. They couldn't do it. And that's us. That's what it means to be spiritually bankrupt. We can't get to God. There's nothing I can do. I can't be good enough to get to him. So... <clears throat> The answer to this question is that mercy comes from a heart that is first felt spiritual bankruptcy. And the heart has, it, it, we, we've come to, your, your heart comes to grieve its sin and, and, and you've learned to wait meekly for the timing of the Lord and to cry out to God in hunger for the work of God's mercy to satisfy us with <clears throat> the righteousness that we need to make us right. It sounds kind of complicated, but it's not. It is 
It's an act of surrender. It's a lifestyle of surrender. Our mercy then to each other comes from God's mercy to us. So the key to becoming a merciful person, and we should and are supposed to be merciful, the key to becoming a merciful person is to, be, is to become a broken person. A broken person. You get the power to show mercy from the real feeling in your heart that you owe everything that you have to God. Everything. And to God's mercy. We owe everything we are and have to the undeserved mercy of God. You see. So what is mercy? What is it? Let's talk about that because I think that some people don't know what mercy is and um, that sounds kind of crazy. You don't know what mercy is. Have you ever played that game with your brother called mercy, right? So you can play it with your hands, right? And you put your fingers in each other's, you know, like this and you bend each other's fingers back until somebody cries, what? Yeah. It's an awesome game to play with your little brother. Because you always win. And it's nothing better than for your little brother to say mercy to you. Right? My little brother is only two years younger than me. And now he's bigger than I am by quite a bit, actually. His son is six, seven and towers over me. And I don't know how come my brother got all the height. I mean, I'm not exactly short, but it's crazy, right? Just try playing mercy with either one of them. Or my own son, it was so great for a while to do this with my son. And now, I, I, we, can, we can't wrestle or anything anymore because he breaks me. <laughs> I can't do any of that. It's terrible, he loves that. So I just want to look at what the opposite of mercy is just really quickly. Sometimes it helps us to look at what the opposite of mercy is in order to clear up our picture of what mercy is. So Matthew chapter 9, turn to Matthew chapter 9 really quick. I can summarize it for you, verses 10 through 13. Jesus was having a meal in uh, Matthew's house and many tax collectors and sinners, they, they came and they ate with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw, that they, uh, saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? Because these are a bunch of dirtbags. So when Jesus, when Jesus uh, heard this, he said, those who are healthy don't need a physician, but those who are sick do. Now this is key. Those who are healthy don't need a doctor. The sick people need a doctor. So verse 13, go learn what this saying means. I want mercy, not sacrifice. That's key. He says, I want mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus says, I want mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So mercy versus sacrifice. In this illustration, the opposite of mercy is sacrifice. In verse 13, 
This is all he says. This is a quote from Hosea 6, 6, where God accuses the people that their love is like dew on the grass. That sounds crazy, but is the, uh, it is there for a brief morning or a little bit in the, in, in the morning, and then it's gone. And all that is left is the empty form of burnt offerings. They're just doing stuff. It's not true worship. They're just doing stuff. See, the point is that God wants his people to be alive in their hearts. He wants them to have feelings of affection towards him and mercy towards each other. He doesn't want people who do their religious duties in in an obligated, formal way. It's not about doing stuff. That's why I hate the word volunteer lately, I guess. It's it's because of things like this. I don't think we're volunteers at church. I don't think we should ever use the word and you're gonna have to work at getting rid of it because we're servants. Servants don't do things out of obligation. They, we serve because, because we belong to the king, because we've sworn allegiance to the king and he's our master. And when he says, this is what I want you to do, we do it. We don't volunteer unless it's, in, in a surrender type, type way, right? Oh, goodness. The lessons we learn from the words of Jesus when he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, are huge right here. All right, so mercy, um, I, I, I think um, these guys that he's talking to, the Pharisees, their, 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 their life seems to be mechanical. Implementation of rules, something huge is at stake here. But they couldn't see it. They couldn't feel it. They were enslaved to trivial issues, ceremonial cleansing of rituals. And they were eternally sick. So the opposite of mercy is slavery to religious things, forms and stuff, Right? Let's look at Matthew 23, really quickly, Matthew 23, just two verses, verses 23 and 24. Jesus is saying, woe to you experts in the law, you Pharisees, hypocrites, man, you give a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, yet you neglect what is more important in the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So they're tithing a tenth, and by the way, that's an Old Testament thing, a tithe, a tenth, so they're tithing everything right down to the spices, Right? And he's saying there's more important things in the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have done these things without neglecting the others. Blind guides. You strain out a gnat, yet swallow a camel. So if you got something, you, you know how a gnat can get in something you're drinking? It's like you're straining that out, but then you're swallowing a whole camel. He's being ridiculous on purpose, so the opposite of mercy And these stinging words of Jesus is straining out gnats. And so the opposite of mercy is when your religious impulses are exhausted after you've decided whether to tithe your gross income or your net income or your birthday money that you get from somebody. It's ridiculous. You're supposed to give it. It's not about a tenth anymore. It's about how much should I actually keep. We live in the new covenant, not in the old covenant. We're in the new covenant. The lessons we learn here, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, look at 
Don't neglect the weightier matters of the law. He means beware of going through the day doing just trivial junk, thinking trivial thoughts, feeling trivial things, right? Do I got to point out what's trivial? He's wanting us to wake up so you don't, we're not found just watching television all day and doing things that make us happy instead of being merciful. So he says, blessed are the merciful. You want to be blessed, you have to make war against the bondage of religious and secular things. You know, all this stuff that we get, we devote our lives to. He says, there's much weightier things, justice, mercy, faith. Mercy's uh, not, trif- uh, not trite or, or a trifle thing. It's one of the weightiest matters in all of life. You know the story or uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10? It's another illustration. It's a great story. You know this probably, Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37. It's a, it's a long story, but it's fantastic. An expert in the law, starting in verse 25, an expert in, in religious law stood up to the test Jesus, uh, to test Jesus. So Jesus is obviously teaching again, right? And these experts are trying to trap him and they're trying to like press him and get him mixed up and find out things. Test him, right? So he says, teacher, what must I do to in, in, inherit eternal life? And so he says to him, what's written in the law? You, you know, you, in other words, you've read the Bible and the Old Testament. That's what they had. How do you understand it? And the expert says, love the Lord uh, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this, and, you're, and you'll live. <laughs> oh, man. So he answers this guy. Who's going to receive mercy? Those who've loved God with all their hearts and their neighbors of themselves. But, the, but this guy, he, he wants to justify himself. He says, and who's my neighbor? <clears throat> so Jesus answers with the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I've been there. You actually got to go down. It's, it's a steep down. And he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went off, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. But when he saw the injured man, he passed by on the other side. So, to a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was traveling came to where the injured man was. And when he saw him, he felt compassion for him. That's key. Underline that. So, he saw him, and then he felt compassion right? He went up to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to, the, to an inn, took care of him. And the next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper, said, take care of him. Whatever else you spend, I'll repay you when I come back this way. Which of these three do you think became a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the religious law said, the one who showed mercy to him. Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Sounds pretty simple. There's four dimensions of mercy right here. You ready? These are great notes. Four dimensions to mercy. In other words, there's four aspects of mercy. It sees distress. Did you see that? It sees distress. It responds internally with a heart of compassion toward the person in distress. That's all in the verse 33. It responds internally with a practical effort to relieve distress. And it acts even when the person in distress is an enemy. 
So you got an eye for distress, you're paying attention, a heart for, uh, of compassion, compassion in spite of bad blood, that's mercy. It's remarkable that this parable makes the same point that Matthew 9, 13 does. See, the Samaritan and this guy were kind of enemies in, in, in their culture, right? Didn't really appreciate each other at all. The Samaritan and, and um, gets well beyond that, right? Go show mercy like the Samaritan, not like the priest, not like the Levite. The priest and the Levite stand for the same thing in the parable that the word sacrifice stands for in Matthew 9, 13. Religious formalism. If you don't want, you know, I can't do this, I can't touch this guy because I'm going to get dirty. I'll be unclean. That's why they didn't want anything to do with him. So Jesus makes up this story. It's not a true story. He makes it up. Why did he choose to illustrate the opposite of mercy with a priest and a Levite? Why did he? I think because it just goes right to the heart of everything. Mercy matters. What is mercy? Seeing distress, feeling compassion, performing relief, and, and, and all of that even towards an enemy. Should a merciful person always show mercy? Real life is complex, I think, for a Christ follower a lot of times who wants to live out their faith in a sinful world. But I think you mingle justice and mercy, right? God's will is that sometimes we give people, we give to people what they deserve, what they should get, whether punishment or reward. We want to call that justice, right? If you didn't do that, you know, we wouldn't, um, uh, you know, everybody would just go free, and it, we would be lawless. And so God's will is that sometimes we give people also better than what they deserve. And that's mercy. In justice, we bear witness to the truth that God is a God of justice. And God is a God of justice. So I believe in uh, justice, but it has to be balanced with mercy. In showing mercy, you bear witness to the truth of that God is a God of mercy as well, right? So sparing, do you know this? Sparing the rod spoils the child. Sometimes, I, I think our kids need a good, I just think they do. I didn't say beat them. I didn't say leave a mark on them. Man, my grandfather, he had this ring and he, would, he had a way of whacking you on the back of the head. And that ring would just leave your head ringing. <laughs> and you never saw it coming. But you never did it twice. <laughs> and it would all, just leave this little knot right there. I can feel it. Oh, I love my grandfather, but he would not tolerate you being disrespectful and all kinds of other things, right? See, sparing the rod spoils the child, you know? But there are times when a child's fault will be forgiven without punishment to teach the meaning of mercy and to teach the child about Jesus. Is it time to be merciful? 
impartially sentencing criminals according to the weight of their crimes is necessary, but there's going to be times when dispensing clemency for some greater good is important. Paying a fair wage and insisting on good workmanship is right, and I don't like it when you're not going to work. And our team of people work. But if you're going to take the shortcut, you and I aren't going to be very good friends if you're going to work with me. Work. If you're going to work for the church, work. But there's times when paying more than a person's worth or uh, work deserves, I think, and going the extra mile is required as well. I gave her a little girl the other day $10 for a a frozen lemonade thing. She didn't have a customer all day, right? So I bought like 10 lemonade things, in, but I only drank one, right? She just kind of needed to get going. She's pretty discouraged, and she wasn't exactly making great lemonade. <laughs> right? When do we show justice or mercy? Well, You get close to Jesus and I think you're going to know we've got to be merciful people even when we act with the severity in justice as well. The Beatitude says blessed or blessed are the merciful, not blessed are those who know exactly when and how to show mercy in all circumstances. That is, we, we have to be poor in spirit and sorrowful of our own sin, meekly free from defensiveness and self-exaltation, uh, hungering and thirsting for all that is righteous to be done, perceptive of a person's distress and misery, feeling compassion for people's pain, making every effort to see the greatest good done for the greatest number of people. And the answer then, should a merciful person always show mercy, is no. But I think you're going to know when to. So why only merciful people find mercy from God in the judgment day? Let me talk about that for a minute and we'll end with it. If salvation is by grace through faith. See, Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. In other words, in the age to come when we meet God face to face and we all will, when we stand before the Lord, the people who will receive mercy from him are people who have been merciful. Okay? Now hang on. Is this a salvation by works? No. It's not. It's not a salvation by works, right? Don't get sucked into the Beatitudes thinking that that's what these are. They're a celebration of who we are. Do we earn his mercy by our mercy? No. Because an earned mercy would be a contradiction in terms. It would be a work. If mercy and earned is earned, it's not mercy, it's a wage. If we get anything good at the judgment, it will be God being merciful. Okay, so when God asks for a record of your mercy at the judgment day, he's not going to be asking for a punch card like you use when you go to the yogurt place. You're not going to say, here it is, I got eight hole punches in my mercy card, now where's my reward of being merciful to me? It's not the way it goes, it's not the way it works. Instead, God will be asking for your medical charts. You know, you know that thing that the, you've seen in 
And days of our lives when they go to the foot of the bed and he has the medical chart and he's flipping through it going, let me see what's going on. Right? That's what God is going to be asking for. You're going to humbly hand your medical chart to him and he's going to read the evidences of how you trusted him as your great physician. And how the medicine of the gospel and his spirit took effect in your life because you relied on them to heal you of your unmerciful disposition that comes naturally to the natural sinful man. Naturally, I am not merciful. But when God sees the evidence of your faith and his healing because you've sworn allegiance to Jesus and the blood of Jesus has washed you clean, he will complete your healing and welcome you into the kingdom forever. Blessed are the merciful. They'll be given mercy. See how that works? We get mercy from God. That's the only way we get it. It's given to us by God. And then he transforms and changes us into merciful people. To be merciful. We're to be merciful. Who do you, who have you not been merciful to? Huh? Man, I can look back through my life and go, wow, I wish I could do that over again. You got any of that going on? If you do, uh, you can't really go back. I mean, sometimes you can, but I think what you got to do now is move forward. And mercy changes everything with people. Mercy changes everything. It really does. Will you bow your head with me? Thank you, Lord. It's a good day to be reminded of all these things. So many people around us need this mercy to wash them clean. <laughs> Thank you that you did that for us now. God, help us to be this to everyone around us, like the Good Samaritan. Such a great story, even though it's made up, that's who we wanna be like. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.